Okay, John, here we are, live, uh, Essential Adaptations, live at the Great Lakes Conference. I knew yeah, we'd make, I, good, good, absolutely good. I knew we'd make big time uh, with our video podcast. Uh, we've gotten so much great mail that uh, I wormed our way into the Great Lakes Conference this evening. We are on the marquee now, Broadway. Absolutely, absolutely. So for those of you that have never uh, watched uh, the live video podcast that John and I do, Essential Adaptations, uh, we are, our goal is to improve practices and give you the tools that you need to make your lives easier, make you so, more successful, your patient outcomes even better. And uh, we'll, we're going to do some of that tonight by uh, following our usual format, which is we talk about our, our mail that we've got, we talk about our guest, we bring our guest on that uh, helps provide tools to make you successful. And then we usually end with something called a puzzler. So uh, stick around if, if you will, because there are valuable prizes that you can win if you know the answer to the puzzler question. And uh, usually sometimes they're hard, sometimes they're easy, but uh, ho hopefully it won't be too hard for them tonight, John. Yeah, I think it's uh, going to be 50-50. <laughs> we'll, we'll see, because some of the things we ask have to do with age. Like if you're old enough, you know exactly what we're talking about. If, if you're young, sometimes you don't, and sometimes you do. So uh, John, let's move right into uh, email because I like to talk about email. It gives us the pulse of what's going on in podiatry and some of the things we can bring forward to help our colleagues be a little bit more successful. So all of the email I've gotten over the last uh, month since our last broadcast have to do with Speakeasy. And I'm just gonna mention this really quick. Uh, a lot of our Speakeasy users were really grateful for introducing the E&M coding that we did. E&M for 2021 is obviously yeah. different and most people attending this conference are aware of that, that the rules and regulations have changed and it's all on medical decision making. So our Speakeasy program, we have uh, all of our users, we introduced uh, new commands that make it a lot easier for them to qualify under the LCD guidelines. So I got a lot of positive email on that. Uh, anything from your end on email this 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 time around? Same same thing. Jeff. I've gotten some very good feedback on our demands for 2021, the time and medical decision making. Um, also, I'm finding that there's a, a whole host of our users who are coming forward, volunteering. They want to do testimonials. They want to actually you know tape video themselves uh, to help their colleagues get on board with this technology. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I should mention because I just take it for granted that everybody knows what Speakeasy is. Uh, we have a little bit later in the program at Great Lakes that we're going to talk about Speakeasy. But basically, it's a dictation documentation program that takes LCD guidelines and helps populate the note with those along with your uh, verbal input as you're doing a note. So no more typing, no more clicking and a lot more uh, following the regulations and having a unique note. So it's it's been a great time saver. Uh, for a lot of people. I don't want to belabor too much on that because we're really here tonight to talk about MIPS and uh, uh, MIPS, uh, MIPS this, MIPS that, MIPS that. So uh, we are bringing in tonight a expert on uh, doing MIPS 
And this expert has a, has a lot of expertise on registries because we know there are different registries out there. We know there are different uh, MIPS measures you can do in your practice. And there's this looming cloud of, should I be doing MIPS? Does that help my patient outcomes? Does it help me as a practitioner? What's, I'll just ask the question everybody wants to ask. What's in it for me? Like, what, what do I get out of this? So we're going to go through that a little bit. Um, so let's talk about our first guest tonight, John. Let's talk about Dr. Michael Brody. Both of you have known Michael for quite some time. And somehow he has uh, wormed his way into being, I would say, podiatry's foremost expert, even med medicine's foremost expert on MIPS uh, and security measures, uh, HIPAA, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Michael has gone down that rabbit hole of learning and probably has read everything there is to know about these topics. Uh, I know, John, you've known him for quite some time. Yeah, I've, I'll never forget um, meeting Michael. I think it was at an APMA National when Meaningful Use just came out. And I went, we were both speaking at that conference, and I went into the speaker ready room. And Michael was sitting there reading the entire meaningful use registry or whatever it's called that had just come out like right hot off the press. He was he was knee deep in reading and learning everything there was to know about meaningful use. And I thought to myself, this guy is going to be very important to our profession. Indeed, indeed, he has become that that uh, because honestly, uh, if you think about all the experts in medicine that they're out there. Not a lot of experts uh, in medicine in general are podiatry oriented and, and have podiatry in their heart like he does and looks out for what's important for podiatry because we get lumped with all the other medical professions sometimes and we get left behind uh, in some ways that aren't so great. So um, anything else we should say about him before we bring him in because he can't defend himself right now? I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I, I say we let him let him come all right, so let me see if I can bring him. Oh, there he is. Good evening, Michael. Good evening, and John, that hey, was Mike. not the PMA National. That was, I remember that very well. It was the Midwest, and I was supposed to speak on the proposed rules relating to meaningful use. And what happens is when rulemaking government, they put out a proposed rule. The proposed rule goes through a comment period. They then review all the comments and publish a final rule. So I prepared my entire talk on the proposed rule. And the night before I was supposed to speak, they published the final rule. So I was there reading the final rule, which had all the changes in the proposed rule, updating my PowerPoint. And that I remember very well it was in the ready room at the Midwest Podiatry Conference. You're right, because yeah, now I remember the hotel. You're absolutely right. It was the Midwest. I stand Yep, but I, I remember that uh, very well because I had been up for hours and hours reading because typically these rules are about six to seven hundred pages long. Hey, so, hey, 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 and no pictures. So, uh, <laughs> let me just ask, uh, clarify a couple of things, Mike. Uh, you're still in practice. I'm still in practice. I still see patients, and I'm still doing the quality reporting, the MIPS, the HIPAA security, and everything in my practice that everybody else has to do. It's important to actually be doing these things also. So. I speak from the perspective of, yes, I do this also. So uh, people should know also that uh, you are behind a major registry in our universe, correct? Well, I'm not sure it's major, but for podiatry it would be, and the registry is 
Registry Clearinghouse, and I'm pleased to say this registry was built for podiatry. If you look at the quality measures that are out there for a Medicaid program, and you say, what's related to my practice? Look, and you see maybe a couple of measures. You've got one measure, which is measure number 126, having to do with the evaluation of the patient on the diabetic Diabetes, foot doing yeah. the neurologic exam. Then you've got a second measure having to do with valuation of the foot and the footwear and what they're doing and what their shoe size is. And those are the only two measures that really relate to the practice of podiatry. So I decided that we need to have more measures that are related to our specialty. And I formed the registry. And I've written up a number of measures and submitted them to CMS for inclusion in quality reporting. And now we have eight additional measures that are available through the registry that are related to podiatry. We have measures related to heel pain, hammer toe pain, bunion pain, injections for uh, enthusiopathy and tendinitis, the use of orthotics, the use of, of uh, devices to off-weight ulcers, the imaging of diabetic ulcers and capturing those images as part of your EHR. So we have a number of measures that are very, very podiatry specific that fit into the workflow of podiatry practice and actually can relate to the quality that we provide. Because if you look at the measure, what does weighing a patient and measuring their BMI so do quality? Let, let me put up while you're talking, Mike, I've got the 12 measures I pulled out of TrackNet. And these are ah. the measures that uh, it's, you'll know these, the A1C, uh, mm -hmm. care plan, preventative care, and, and uh, screening influenza, pneumococcal vaccination, diabetes, like you said, two diabetes ones, preventative care and screening body mass, uh -huh. uh, documentation of current meds in the medical record, preventative care and screening tobacco, uh, screening for high blood pressure, falls risk, and falls plan of care. And I, I agree with you. Those four or five measures you just measured or me mentioned being brand new measures are so podiatry specific. And let's, let's, let's talk about those for a second because I heard a lecture you gave about why you wanna do measures that not the entire universe of medicine is doing. Let's talk about that a little bit because the measures you just gave, the brand new ones you got certified, uh, have a financial gain for me, correct? That is correct. So let's start with talking about the measures that are for the medical universe. And we'll take, for example, uh, screening for tobacco. Screening for tobacco is a very, very easy measure to do. You ask the patient if they use tobacco. Now, if you were started this back in the days of meaningful use, you remember that we first had asked them if they smoke. The new measure for MIPS is, do you use tobacco? So that's the question you have to ask because chewing tobacco is included. And if the patient says, yes, they are, tobacco user, you provide them with some sort of tobacco cessation counseling. It's extremely easy to say, yes, this patient uses tobacco. Yes, I got the patient cessation counseling. So you can go score a very, very high score on your performance of that measure. 95 is extremely easy. The problem is 95 is not a good score for that measure. Now, if you think back to the days in college, when we took a test, we were graded on the curve. So class average was a 50 and we got a 60, we were great. Class average was a 90 and we got an 88, we were in trouble. Now the measures that are easy, such as tobacco screening, since everyone does well on them, class average on that measure tends to be very, very high. And if you're not getting a 90, 99, 100% performance on that measure, 
paper, you're not going to get a good score on that measure. So each measure scores 10 points. And you think that class average is where everything is based on. So if the class average is not the mean score is a 97, and you think you're doing well with an 85, you're actually doing very poorly on that measure. So let me so, understand something here, Mike, then. <clears throat> you're telling me no matter what measure it is, it's against the entire medical universe. That's so things that are podiatry specific, odds are the entire universe is not going to do them, but I'm going to be scored very high if I do what an average podiatrist does with, with these particular, I, this is brilliant. I like this. Well, here's the problem with that. Measures 126 and 127, which are the podiatry specific measures. Yeah. We as a profession have done very, very well in performance on those measures, which means that we have made class average on those measures very, very high. Mm. Therefore, if we score even as low as an 85, we're not going to get a very good score because we happen to provide very good quality as a profession. And therefore, we have set the bar for ourselves on these measures to be very high, making it very difficult for us to score well on the measures that are currently part of the current quality program. Now, for anyone who's interested in seeing how the measures work and how the scoring works, there's a website Medicare has called QPP. It's at qpp.cms.gov. And I encourage everyone to go there and you scroll down to the bottom of the page. There's a link for something called the Resource Center. Within the Resource Center, you're going to want to find the files related to MIPS, and then you select for quality scoring. It'll give you all the documents they have. The one you want to look at is the benchmarks. The benchmarks are published by then. You can see exactly what you need to score in terms of performance to do well. And if you look at those benchmark files, it's listed in the left-hand column has the measure number. And then it goes right across. If you score this score, you'll get five, six, seven, eight, nine. The maximum is 10 points for the measure. And you want to look at benchmark files, look at the quality measures you plan on doing, look at what benchmark you need in order to score an eight, nine, or 10 on a measure well, and you'll see that there are some measures where if you score 95%, you will still only get maybe five or six points out of 10 because the class average has been so high. So you let know, me also, ask you this then, because uh, how many of these freaking measures do I actually have to do to make money? Okay. How many do you have to do? Yes. You want, you, there are six measures. There's a maximum of six measures you can be scored on. And each measure has a maximum score of 10 points. So the top score you can get is 60 points. Mm. If you're going to get 10 on six measures, then you only do six measures because you've got a full 60 points. So it's that... extremely difficult to get 10 points on six measures. So what you want to do is you want to do more than six measures because you want to get bonus points. Bonus points are available. So there are types of measures that are known as high-priority measures. And if you look at the measure, if it's a high-priority measure or not. If you do an extra high-priority measure, you get a bonus point. There are other measures known as outcome measures. If you look at the measures, they'll tell you if it's an outcome measure. An extra outcome measure is worth two points. You can get up to six bonus points that way. So therefore, if you have your six main measures, and then you do three more outcome measures or six more high-priority measures, You'll get your score for your basic measures plus the six bonus points for doing extra high priority or extra outcome measures. Now, one of the nice things about the measures that we've gotten approved by CMS is every single measure that we've gotten approved, an outcome measure, 
which means that each measure that you do that we have created gets you two bonus points above and beyond. Another way you can get bonus points is something known as end-to-end reporting. And this is something that you're very familiar with because we've discussed it. If your EHR system electronically sends your quality score to the registry and the registry passes that quality score on to CMS, it's known as end-to-end reporting because it's not touched by human hands. Every time you do end-to-end reporting on your basics measures, you get another bonus. So therefore, you're eligible for up to 12 bonus points. Now, remember, you max out at 60. So if you get 12 bonus points, then you only need to get a total of 48 points on those six measures in your base score to get a perfect score on quality. So if you max out your bonus points, then you get an average of eight on each of the measures. You're perfect in quality. And that's an amazing thing because that's going to move you a long way to getting a bonus. Those new measures then are going to be very beneficial. This sounds like a bad, bad class. This is like a (laughs) a nightmare from college that it just, so. Statistics. uh, It's worse than statistics. It's almost calculus because the way they do the math is very confusing. So if I, if I want to, if I'm in practice, how, how am I going to decide any of this? It's like, well, that, that's where, if you're in practice deciding this, you're going to have to depend heavily upon your EHR vendor because your EHR vendor is going to build quality measures into the system that fall into your workflow. So that way, as you're seeing the patient and as you're doing your normal work, it's collecting the information to make sure that you're doing the quality measures. Then you want to follow up by looking at your dashboard to see how you're doing because you see a list of the of the number of patients who were eligible for a specific measure, how many of those patients you measure on, and then how which patients you did not meet it on. And if you monitor this throughout the year, you can catch up because most of the measures that you want to use are known as once per reporting period measures. So if a patient comes to your office four times during the year, and the first time they come in, you forget to do that quality action. But the second time or third time you do the quality action, you've met that action one time during the reporting period and that patient counts for you. So by constantly monitoring your dashboard and seeing, do I have any patients coming in this week that I missed the quality measure on? And making sure that you catch the quality measure, you take from the not met, which counts against you, and move them into met. So constantly do this and monitor your progress over the year, scoring a very high performance on each measure is actually relatively easy because you can make sure that the patients who you are not met turn into meds. So you turn the minus into pluses. And by the time December comes around, everybody's in the plus column. You say, hey, everyone that's coming, I've already met the measure on. I don't have to do anything. And in theory, by the time October, November comes around, you could be at 100% and at a point where you only have to worry about your new patients. So, Mike, let's talk dollars and cents now. Hmm. Um, You know, in this reporting year, 2021, this is actually a three-part question now that I think of it. Okay. Talk about um, what am I going to get penalized if I don't do any of this? What is my likelihood or how much is my likelihood going to be if I do everything really well? And then also talk, if you will, a little bit about the 2020 exemptions that I've been hearing about. Okay, 2021, there are a couple of changes to the program. First is the maximum penalty has gone up to 9%. Also, the score you're going to need to avoid a penalty has gone from 45 to 60. So the current thinking is that with 
score to avoid a penalty going up to 60. And honestly, most practitioners do not understand the nuances of the program, don't understand that you're being scored against class average and there are benchmarks. And therefore, even if you're getting a 90% performance on a measure, you might might not be doing so well, that people are not going to do as well as they think. So a lot of people are going to end up in the penalty phase of below 60. Now, for people who are getting a bonus, program is supposed to be revenue neutral. So the money for the bonuses comes from the people who penalized. Now, there's not, they're not expecting any hardship exemptions and people to opt out. And people have not been doing this, therefore they don't know how to. So it's going to be difficult for people to ramp up and get a good score. So they are expecting, and this is what they are expecting, that there's going to be a lot of money in the penalty pool. And people who score in the 95 to 100 range for 2021, they are projecting a 7% bonus. The maximum bonus is 9%. But plus the bonus is based on the amount of people who get penalties. It may be actually more than 9% to get a multiplier, or it could be less than 9 And people who have scored very, very high in previous years were expecting a big bonus and found out they're only getting 1% or 2% wonder why, when theoretically it should have been more. The reason for that is they only have as much money as in the, as in the penalty area. But they're expecting with the higher numbers and no exemptions that there's going to be a lot of money in the penalty box this year to be distributed to those who have done well. Interesting. So let's assume, Mike, that uh, my practice doesn't have a lot of Medicare government patients at all. Uh, say I have less than 10% and I'm a very busy, successful practitioner, just like John G. So um, what uh, should I be doing, MIPS? I mean, there's work involved on my end. Uh, I know what the idea is to increase patient outcomes, but there, in essence, is work that is involved with uh, performing these measures? Do we recommend at some threshold that we do or do not participate? Okay, as far as the threshold to participate, there is work involved. And how much you can get in terms of bonus money is gonna be related to your Medicare money. Now, that, that being said, they just put out a law and now Medicare is requiring the Medicare Advantage plans to pay out money also. Hmm. So if you talking about just straight Medicare Part B, in the past, your Medicare Advantage plans did not have to pay you bonus money. Starting January 1st of this year, Medicare Advantage plans are paying bonus money out for those who earn bonuses. So therefore, the question is, is it Medicare that you talk about just straight Medicare, or is it Medicare and Medicare Advantage? Because now Medicare Advantage is included in the bonus money. The Medicare Advantage plans are required to pay out the bonus they are not required to hit you with a penalty if you're in the penalty range. So you want to think about not just your straight Medicare Part B, but your Medicare Advantage when you do that calculation. Once you do that, assuming, and this is based upon the projections of 7%, if you do really well, your bonus could be 7% of your Medicare money. So you look at how much you have received in Medicare allowable, not payable, because remember, they don't pay you the deductible and they don't pay you the copayment, but it's based on Medicare allowable. Look at your medical allowable, multiply that by 7%, and that's what you can reasonably expect to get in bonus money if you get 100, a perfect score. You'll get less if you have less than perfect score, but that gives you a sense of financial incentive. Now, say I'm not going to do it, then look at Medicare allowable, multiply that by 9%, and that's how much less you're going to get. And that's the swing. It's expected to be about 60%. Hmm. Yeah. Now, that determines, okay, 
here is my cash incentive just on Medicare. But what are the other things you're looking at? Your scores that you pu- that you put in are published and are looked at by insurance companies for contracting purposes, by ACOs who might want to contract you for services. They're also published on a website known as Physician Compare, which patients can go to and see what your score was. Now, realistically speaking, if you ask any of your patients if they've been to Physician Compare to look at you, what are they going to say? What's Physician Compare? But if they Google you, they, they Google Dr. Jeff Frederick, Dr. John Juliana, you're not going to come up. Physician Compare is not going to come up. Things are going to come up. ZocDoc, Health Grades, all these other sites. And these other sites are now, when you go to them, they actually give you information. Doctors and a lot of these sites are actually pulling your score from Physician Compare and showing that to you. So if you go Google your own name and click on Health Grades, it'll show you your practice, your information. And on the right-hand side, other doctors in the community. Now, if you have a score of 45, and it shows Dr. Jeff Frederick, score 45, and on the right, other doctors in the community, Dr. John Juliana, score 95, well, he's only two blocks away, and he's in my plan. Why should I go to a doctor with a 45 rather than a 95? Yeah. So, therefore, the patients who have major medical, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Cigna, Aetna, when they search for you on the internet, they see what your score is, and may decide hey, this doctor has a poor score. I'm going to go to the doctor that has a large score. And that may only mean that that doctor is a better button pusher than you. The bottom line is, though, perception is everything. And your score in this program is going to give people a perception of how the doctor you are. So we can talk about the pros and cons. Is this actually providing quality care? Is it not providing quality care? And honestly, from the perspective of financial incentive for your practice, that's irrelevant. Relevant is the perception of the patients. And if they see that you have a score of a 45 and I ran the corner to score 95, you know, we all look at reviews. When we go and look at a hotel, looking at a restaurant, we check the reviews out. These are reviews of the doctors. Well, you, all, yeah, yeah, you, you also said something that sticks with me is the insurance companies can judge you on this because this is another piece of data that they can utilize to say, well, yeah. you're not for our plan. I'm sorry that, you know, you didn't mm-hmm. do MIPS. You don't have any quality measures reporting. We don't know anything about you. Um, or we'll take you in our program, but we're going to pay you half of what we pay everybody else. So there's right. lots of incentives. So people don't often look beyond the dollars. What's my check? We're, we're, it is a more global picture of what this can do for you. So the other question then that leads me to is this program ain't going away, is it? This has been around since the whole program. Think back to George Bush Sr. He started a program known as PQRI, the Physicians Quality Reporting Initiative. Yep. That then morphed into something known as the Physicians Quality Reporting System, PQRS. And we had incentives. PQRS was then rolled into meaningful use, and quality reporting was part of meaningful use or meaningless abuse, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> yeah. And now quality reporting is a major component of the MIPS program. Quality reporting is not going away. We have quality reporting at the hospital level, things known as HEDIS measures. We have quality reporting at the physician level. We have quality reporting for the ACO. So if you're involved in an ACO, they do quality reporting also. It is here to stay. 
And you may have heard the term pay for performance. Pay for performance is all based upon quality reporting. And a lot of private insurance companies have pay for performance plans where if you report quality to the plan, you get bonus monies and sometimes that very big money. Boy, you have given us a lot to think about on the MIPS program itself, the value of it, uh, how to interpret and how to go through this uh, puzzle of uh, what's best for your patients, what's best for you, and the overall picture. Because usually when I see a MIPS lecture, I run away. I'm just telling you that. You just don't like me. (laughs) No, no, no. You make it easy understand yeah you do you 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 absolutely do make it easy to understand um i don't know how this time has flown time is just flying by i mean i'm looking at uh uh the information that you've been providing and i guess because of your depth of knowledge it made it go easy but uh boy uh, we're running out of time uh is there anything we need to get to on uh because we have the puzzler coming up which i hope you'll stick around because you'll like the puzzler uh, okay. The question we're going to ask, uh, you'll know the answer, but you can't give it because you can't win. And, and mind you, <laughs> uh, since you were a guest, I'm going to send you our prize pack anyway. So you get that for being a guest. So Thank you. Uh, no giving it away. And anybody in our audience, no emailing uh, Dr. Brody to get the answer so you can you can win. And the way puzzlers go, uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But do you think we covered everything you need to know about MIPS in, in a short period of time? I just want to read the importance, especially as you go through 2021, to send data to the registry regularly. Very often, a lot of people wait till the end of the year and they send their data to the registry at the end of the year when it's too late to look at your numbers and say, I miss this patient and remediate them. So if you're going to participate in 2021 and you're going to work with the registry, please hit that send button at least once a month, if not more often. Check your dashboard and give yourself the opportunity to use feedback to improve your quality score so that way you maximize the benefit you get not only in terms of the medicare incentive but in terms of getting a high score so that way the public perception of your practice drives patients into your office you said something very important there because i know your registry uh, does work that way where i can send data and i can get a, a report a mid midterm see where i am and i could look at something and and work with the registry and they could say hey you're really low on this. You missed, you know, 50 patients that you probably should have gotten. I can go back and fix that. So it's not something like once I submit it to your registry, that's it. It's signed, sealed, delivered, can't change a thing because I could have done these things. And if I have, I damn well want credit for it. So it, right. things not, are changing. Not only that, but, and you want to be able to do it the next visit. Now, here's the important point if you go in and fix it, because we do have a tool. If you forget to click the right button inside of TrackNet, but you met the quality measure, you can come in and hit a button in the registry. says, I did it on that patient. You hit fix, click the button. I met the measure. You put in the date that you met the measure. Once you do that, it is no longer end-to-end reporting because you are adjusting the reporting en route. So you lose the bonus point. Now, if you're going to go up enough that it's more than one point, then it makes sense to do the fix. But if you're going to fix only two, four, six patients, do not fix them because you lose the bonus point, but you won't change your score enough to make a difference. The real best way to do it is not to use the fix, but to look at your numbers and catch the patient next time they walk in and meet the measure that day. Because once again, these measures are once per reporting period. And therefore, if you catch them on the next visit, you turn them from a no to a yes, and you fix it by doing the proper workflow within TrackNet, get credit for it, and improve your score. 
you don't want to use the fix if you can avoid it. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, that makes makes a, a ton of ton of sense. Absolutely. So, um, I uh, I think uh, we originally introduced you as probably the most knowledgeable person uh, having to do with uh, MIPS, and I think you definitely are. There's there's no two buts in my mind. Uh, Thank you. Uh, and that takes a lot of work to get there. Um, I am going to need your help on something because John G. of course lost his internet. And so we, we lost him. So I'm going to need your help with the puzzler. So okay. uh, just hang out with me and, and, and we'll, go, we'll kind of go through how this works and uh, uh, what the puzzler is and, and that kind of stuff. So the first thing off is um, I'm going to uh, show a picture from last, last month's puzzler. So we got to announce last month's winners. And then we're going to give a puzzler that uh, most podiatrists should know the answer to. And we'll give them where to email their answer, uh, and hopefully uh, things will go well. So last week, and maybe you'll know the answer to this one. I don't know. You got to be a movie trivia buff like I am. Last week was we were, we were in Christmas season, so we talked about the movie It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Favorite Christmas movie ever, and we debated uh, a couple things. Some people think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I absolutely think it is not. But uh, so we put up this picture of It's a Wonderful Life. It's the Jimmy Stewart movie where he hopes, wishes he was never born and an angel grants that wish and he sees what life is like. The question was, it takes place in a fictitious town. What is the name of the fictitious town? And I thought that was a tough question. Unless you watched that movie, you wouldn't know it. We got three answers immediately within 30 seconds of each other. So I'm going to award three prizes and they are to uh, Dr. Samuel Cox, Dr. Lawrence Callis, and uh, Dr. Deborah Mannheim. They're all going to get uh, for knowing that it was Bedford Falls was the answer. So um, that is, is definitely uh, um, the answer. So now the new puzzler question is going to be tough. Well, maybe it's not. I don't know. It depends on what you think. So um, hang on. I'm going to put it in in a second. And uh, let's see if I can get this so we can actually read it. Okay. Um, there we go. So Question number, you have to know the answer to both these questions for it. Uh, question one, how much was the original incentive money for meaningful use for participation? The total package, not just each year adding up. What was the original amount, total amount that you could get if you participated in the, in the uh, package of years you were supposed to do it? What was the total amount? Some people know that, some people won't. You may have to be old to know it. I know it. And um, I think, uh, yeah, let me do this. I'm going to also say, for those of you that kind of might know it, but might not know it, I'm going to play a theme song to a TV movie. And what you don't know, Mike, is I'm a TV movie crazy person. So this is a theme song to a movie. You may or may not be able to hear it because you're in the green room, but let me, let me see if I can get that to go. So basically, it was a theme song to, I would say, a 70s movie. And um, 70s movies are, uh, are uh, real difficult for some people. 
So the trivia question, if uh, uh, you need to revisit it, was how much was the original incentive meaningful use participation money? And two, you had to identify the theme song we played. Now, if you know the answer to this, you have to send it off to us at info at essentialadaptations.com. Real simple. So I assume, uh, Michael, you probably knew the answer to that. Well, actually, uh, the audio did not come through with me, but I have a trivia question for you. Oh, sure. For part one of the question, mm -hmm. do you know the same answer if you were in the Medicaid program? Do I know what? Do you know how much incentive was if you were in the Medicaid portion of meaningful use? The initial incentive? Money if from the Medicaid program was different from those in the Medicare program that most psychiatrists that participated I, in. I want to say it was either 8000 or 12000 No? Not even close? Not even close. Damn. All right. Much, much more. It was a much higher number than the Medicare incentive program. And the Medicaid program was a reimbursement for the money you spent to implement the technologies. And there was a lot more money there, and it was over more years. Really? Really. But I mean, because I'm... you had to have a minimum percentage of your practice had to be Medicaid patients. Well, that would... That... Medi I'm just going to say this really quick. Medicaid, you never got paid. So how the hell were they basing money on money that they were going to pay you in 10 years? <laughs> no, it wasn't based upon how much you were paid. It was based upon how much you spent on the technology. Uh, so all you had to have was receipts for spending. It was a reimbursement program, and there was a lot more money in that program than there was in the Medicare program. But in the Medicare program, you didn't have to demonstrate spent a cent you simply had to report and you got the check wow i never would have guessed that was a part two of that question what then no that was it oh you got me because uh <laughs> i knew there was incentive money but i just i for some reason thought it was less but uh, much more yeah so uh absolutely uh thank you again mike for uh coming on to our um uh, video podcast, Essential Adaptations. As I initially said, you are probably the most knowledgeable person we have in podiatry and probably in the medical profession uh, because nobody does the diligence that you do on getting that done. And that's led you down the path of uh, having a registry or creating a registry that is the easiest to work with. You know that I'm part of TrackNet. We love working with your registry because it makes life simple. And more importantly, it's going to make clients and podiatrists uh, able to work uh, towards the goal, if they want to achieve meaningful use, meaningful use, <laughs> they want to <laughs> meaningless, meaningless. <laughs> meaning, meaningless, yeah, meaningless. Uh, so uh, it has made it better for podiatry, and that's really what we're after. Uh, so as always, uh, if John G was here, I'd be telling him this was a great episode, which it was. We went through meaning, uh, meaningful use. We went through MIPS, <laughs> some of the stuff that we need. See, this is I'm old. So uh, we went through some of the stuff we needed to. You gave a frank discussion on whether somebody should participate, whether they should take an opt-out for this year, some really valuable stuff, which is excellent. Uh, and I can't say, say more. Uh, I think we've given as much information as we possibly could to help patient outcomes and improve patients' practices. So as always, thank you again. And thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.